I'd like to have a special word of prayer, not only to ask for God's blessing in our study, but also to end the Sabbath. Uh, because the Sabbath uh, looks like it ended uh, a little while ago. Uh, so let's bow our heads and we'll have a word of prayer. Father in heaven, we thank you for the marvelous blessings which we have received this day. We thank you for this beautiful, sunshiny day. And Father, we thank you especially for your word. What a terrible thing it would be to be in this world without any guidance, without any knowledge about what's happening and what's going to take place. We thank you because you have given us the certainty that you will be with us even to the end. Father, we ask that as we begin this new week, that you will help us to live for you, to reveal in our lives the character of Jesus Christ, to reveal in our lives your holiness. We ask, Lord, that you will bless us and keep us in your care in this week as it begins. And we thank you for hearing our prayer, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Let's turn in our Bibles to Exodus chapter 28 and verse 36. Exodus 28 and verse 36. This verse is speaking about the attire of the high priest of Israel. And it specifically describes a crown that the high priest had on his head. It says there in Exodus 28 and verse 36, You shall also make a plate of pure gold and engrave on it like the engraving of a signet, holiness to the Lord. Interesting that God would have the high priest use this crown with this large letter inscription, holiness to the Lord. By this way, God was trying to show the importance of the holy in his mind. Now, not only did the high priest wear this crown, which said holiness to the Lord, but actually all of the priests in Israel were to teach the people to respect the holy and to distinguish the holy from the common. Notice what we find in Ezekiel 44 and verses 23 and 24. Ezekiel 44 and verses 23 and 24. Speaking about the priests in Israel, it says here, And they shall teach, thank you, Thank you very much. And they shall teach my people the difference. Who was to teach the people? Who? Were they the preachers of the Old Testament? Were they the ministers of the Old Testament? Yes, they were. And they shall teach my people the difference between the holy and the unholy. The word unholy means common. It's not bad. It simply means that which is not holy. The holy and the common. And cause them to discern 
between the unclean and the clean. In other words, one of the roles of the priesthood was to teach the people the difference between the holy and the common, between the sacred and the secular, if you please, as we would refer to it today. You see, in Israel, there was holy money and common money. In Israel, there was holy dress and common dress. In Israel, there were holy days and common days. In Israel, there were holy places and common places. In Israel, there was holy music and common music. In Israel, there were holy occasions and common occasions. In Israel, there were holy vocations and common vocations. And so this made it necessary to distinguish clearly between the sacred and the secular, between the holy and the common. And it was the role of the spiritual leaders, the priests, to teach the congregation, the people, to have the discernment to discriminate between the holy and the common. Now turn with me in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 9 and verses 23 and 24, and we're going to study about what happened when in Israel they failed to distinguish the holy from the common. Leviticus 9 and verses 23 and 24. This is speaking about the inauguration of the tabernacle in the wilderness. The sacrifices had been placed upon the altar. Aaron and Moses prayed. And I want you to notice what happened as a result. Verse 23. And Moses and Aaron went into the tabernacle of meeting and came out and blessed the people. Then the glory of the Lord appeared to all the people. And fire came out from before the Lord. Where did the fire come from? From before the Lord. And consumed the burnt offering and the fat on the altar. When all the people saw it, they shouted and fell on their faces. So God rained fire upon this altar to consume the sacrifices. And by the way, this fire, because it had rained from God, was holy fire. In fact, God clearly told the priests, whenever you bring fire into the sanctuary, you make sure that you take the holy fire from this altar. Don't you bring me any other fire. Don't bring me common fire. Bring me this holy fire because I rained it upon the altar. Now let me ask you, if you'd looked at that holy fire and you'd seen the fire that people used to cook with, would both fires look somewhat alike? Yeah. If you stuck your finger in one and the other fire, would both fires burn your finger? Yes. If you could examine and analyze the chemical properties of both fires, would the chemical properties be similar? Yes. The fires looked alike. But God said, even though the fires look alike, 
This fire is holy. That fire is common. Whenever you come into the sanctuary, you bring holy fire from this altar. It's different than any other fire. Now the priests, of course, would mix the fire with incense. And then they would bring the fire and the incense into the sanctuary. But the fire was to come from the altar. Now let me ask you, what does the fire represent? The fire represents the Holy Spirit. By the way, there's some interesting symbolism here. Do you know that the animals upon the altar represented the sacrifice of Jesus? But the fire showed that God had accepted the sacrifice. And so it was that Jesus died on the cross and the way in which God showed his people on earth that he had accepted the sacrifice was by raining fire down on the day of Pentecost. That was the indication that what Jesus had done was accepted before the Father. He rained fire from heaven. In other words, the fire represents the Holy Spirit. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. So the fire represented the Holy Spirit. Now what did the incense represent? Because the fire had to be mixed with the incense. Go with me to Psalm 141 and verse 2. Psalm 141 and verse 2. We're dealing with symbols here. We need to understand that the fire represented something. The incense represented something. Both of them together had a tremendous spiritual lesson. Notice Psalm 141 and verse 2. Here the psalmist says, Let my prayer be set before you as incense. What does the incense represent? Prayer. The lifting up of my hands as the evening sacrifice. So incense represents prayer. Notice Revelation 8 and verse 3, also on the incense. Revelation chapter 8 and verse 3. Speaking about the altar where the incense was offered, it says, Then another angel, having a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. And he was given much incense that he should offer it with what? With the prayers of all the saints upon the golden altar which was before the throne. Once again, the incense is related to prayer. Now, a very interesting passage we find in Luke chapter 1 and verses 8 through 10. Because here you have the symbol and what the symbol represented. Zacharias, the father of John the Baptist, was serving his turn in the temple. It was the eighth course, the course of Abijah. And I want you to notice the description that we find beginning at verse 8. It says, so it was that while he was serving as priest before God in the order of his division, according to the custom of the priesthood, his lot fell to burn incense when he went into the temple of the Lord. So he goes into the temple of the Lord to burn incense, and now notice what the people are doing outside. Verse 10, and the whole multitude of the people was praying outside at the hour of incense. You have the symbol and what the symbol represented. In other words, as 
Zacharias was offering this incense in the sanctuary mixed with the fire, the people outside were praying. And as the incense ascended, it represented the fact that their prayers were ascending to God. Now let me ask you, who is it that takes our prayers to God? It's the Holy Spirit. Have you ever read in Romans chapter 8, it says that we don't really know what we need to pray for? Have you read that in Romans 8? We don't even know what to ask. So who asks in our place? The Spirit. He goes with groanings. And he presents our requests before the Father. And by the way, the angels are the foot soldiers of the Holy Spirit. So we don't want to exclude the angels. That's a subject for another time, the omnipresence of God, which we've misunderstood to a great degree as Adventists. It's through the angels that God maintains active communication with all of his creation. They actually are the ones, the Holy, through the ministration of the angels, the Holy Spirit has our prayers ascend to God and answers descend to us. That's why they're called ministering spirits. And so the Holy Spirit is instrumental when we pray. Our prayers are mingled with the fire, with the Spirit, and then our prayers ascend into the presence of God. Fantastic symbolism. But God said, make sure that the prayer is offered with the right Spirit. God gives His Spirit to them who obey Him. Now let's go to Leviticus chapter 10 and verse 1. Leviticus 10 and verse 1. Tragic story. It says there, and we're going to be here for a while, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it. Was that good? Putting fire in it? All depends, right? Put incense on it. Was the incense okay? Did they use the right kind of incense? Yes. Wrong kind of what? Wrong kind of fire. They offered incense in disobedience. Are you catching my point? They offered prayer in what? Disobedience. By the way, that's a work of another spirit. So it says, Then Nadab and Abihu, the sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense on it, and offered profane fire before the Lord. Better translation would be strange fire. It means common fire. They didn't take it from the altar. They got it from some other place. Secular fire, if you please. They took common fire and they presented it to God as if it were holy. Did they know the kind of fire they were supposed to offer? Let's finish reading the verse. And offered profane or common fire before the Lord, which He had not commanded them. If they offered fire that God had not commanded them, then they knew which fire God had commanded them. They knew it. And yet they took common fire and mingled it with the incense. They're presenting the prayers, but they're doing it 
not through the Holy Spirit, who is given to those who are obedient, but they're doing it in disobedience to God. These are disobedient prayers. And so when they do this, God says, who cares? Fire is fire. Huh. Notice verse 2. So fire went out from the Lord. The same expression that's used about for the fire that, that came from the Lord to burn up the sacrifices. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them. And they died before the Lord. Whenever I present this sermon, there's always somebody who says, Oh, where's grace? You see, the thing is, we have tried to sanitize God into our image. We want to see God as Father, but we don't want to understand that God is judge. We want just one model of God, not all models of God. And we feel uncomfortable with certain biblical stories. Like, for example, Uzzah. Touch the ark and you're dead. Whoo! Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. Who, by the way, aspired to a position for which God had not called them. And that has a lot to say about women's ordination. I'll leave it there. <laughs> they wanted to be priests. How come Aaron and his how come Aaron thinks that only his house can be priests? We want to be priests. God had not called them to be priests. But they aspired to the priesthood. And so Moses, you know, his regular calm self, says, well, folks, I'll tell you what. Come tomorrow morning, you 250 guys with your censers. And if the earth swallows you up, you'll know who speaks for the Lord. (laughs) (laughs) And they all came the next morning. The 250 of them with their two senses. Let me ask you, do you think that they could have made good priests? Could they have learned how to do the work of a priest? Sure, very well. They could have learned. Could they have done as good a job as the regular priests? Sure they could have. Were they equal to Moses and to Aaron? Sure they were. They just had a different function. And so they came with their censers. See, they aspired to a holy vacation, vocation for which God had not called them. And lo and behold, they put the, the incense in the censers. The earth opens and swallowed up all 250 of them. Where's grace? I'll tell you where grace is. God has given us these stories to teach us that he will not be trifled with. So that we do not repeat the same mistakes that they repeated. That is grace. Protecting us from what happened to these young men. That is grace. 
We don't like to talk about the story of, of uh, the 42 children who were making fun of the prophet of the Lord. Go up, you bald head. God took that personally. This was God's spokesman. It was his prophet. And the Bible says that Elisha turned around and cursed them in the name of the Lord. Oh, that was the Old Testament God. Yeah, and what about Ananias and Sapphira? That's Acts of the Apostles after the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. And what was their sin? They took holy money and they used it for secular purposes. Are you following me? And so in verse 2 it says, So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. Do you know that there are some prayers that are rejected? What kind of prayers are rejected by God? Let's read a couple of verses. Proverbs 28 and verse 9. Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 9. Those who cherish sin and pray, their prayers are not accepted. Do you agree with me? Those who knowingly violate God's will, according to Scripture, their prayers are not accepted. Notice Proverbs 28 and verse 9. You know this verse. One who turns away his ear from hearing the law, even his prayer is an abomination. Is there a certain incense that God will not accept? When it's blended with disobedient fire. Not with the Holy Spirit, because the Holy Spirit gives, is given to those who obey God. Notice also Psalm uh, 66 and verse 18. Psalm 66 and verse 18. Here the psalmist says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord what? Will not hear. But certainly God has heard me. He has attended the voice of my prayer. Praise the Lord. Because his heart was right. So these two young men present common fire with the prayers. And the prayers are not accepted, symbolically speaking, because they're presented in disobedience before God. Now notice verse 3 of Leviticus 10. And Moses said to Aaron, This is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. What must God be recognized as? Holy. So Aaron held his peace. You see, the problem with Nadab and Abihu is that they disregarded the holiness of God. In fact, they trampled upon the holiness of God. And then I want you to notice what happened. No, this gets even more interesting as we move along. In verse 4, 
We're told, and Moses said, called Mishael and Elzaphan, the sons of Uziel, the uncle of Aaron, and said to them, Come near, carry your brethren from before the sanctuary out of the camp. That's interesting, out of the camp. So they went near and carried them by their tunics out of the camp as Moses had said. And Moses said to Aaron and to Eliezer and to Ithamar his sons, notice this, do not uncover your heads nor tear your clothes lest you die and wrath come upon all the people. Now it says, no mourning. Wow. Why no mourning? Because if they'd mourned for these individuals, they would have been giving the impression that they sympathized with them. In fact, do you know that's what happened in the story of Korah, Dathan, and Abiram? You know, when the earth swallowed them up, you know what the people said? You killed them! They started pointing the accusing finger at God. And God said, oh yeah? And all those people died. So oh, I don't like these stories, Pastor. But they're in the Bible. Very clearly expressed in Scripture. Because God wants us to, wants to teach us about His holiness. God is not the man upstairs. He's not our good old buddy. Yes, he is our father. But he's also the almighty God who commands respect. And if we love the Lord, it will be our delight to respect him. This warning is for those who think they can approach God in disrespect. They said, don't mourn them. Don't you dare. Lest you sympathize with the sinners. Now I need to ask a question. Why did Nadab and Abihu offer common fire as if it was holy when they knew that they were supposed to offer holy fire? Go with me to Leviticus chapter 10 and verses 8 and 9. We're dealing with literal things here, aren't we? Literal priests, literal incense, literal fire, literal wine, but all of these things have a symbolic meaning in the end time. Are you with me? The priests become ministers. The fire is the Holy Spirit. The incense is prayer. And we're going to notice that the wine is false doctrines. Notice verse 8. Then the Lord spoke to Aaron saying, Do not drink wine or intoxicating drink. You nor your sons with you when you go into the tabernacle of meeting, lest you die. It shall be a statute forever throughout your generations. In other words, Nadab and Abihu could not distinguish the holy from the common because they drank wine. And by drinking the wine, their mind was incapable of distinguishing the holy from the common. Therefore, they took the common and they presented it to God as if it were holy. But it's even more serious. 
God says, don't drink intoxicating drink when you come into the tabernacle of meeting. But then he explains the reason why. Notice verses 10 and 11. That you may distinguish. See, don't become intoxicated. That you may distinguish between holy and unholy. That means between the holy and the common. And between unclean and clean. And then notice also, and that you may teach the children of Israel all the statutes which the Lord has spoken to them by the hands of Moses. Don't become intoxicated with wine so that you can distinguish between the holy and the common and also so that you have the capacity to teach the people the distinction between the holy and the common and all the statutes of the Lord, all the laws of the Lord. So the great sin of Nadab and Abihu was to take the common and present it to God as if it were holy. Now I want us to look at the other side of the coin. Let's look at a story of someone who took the holy and treated it as if it was common. And see what happened to him. Go with me to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. The opposite side of the coin. Taking the holy and treating it as if it was common. Notice chapter 5 and verse 1. Belshazzar, the king, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords. And what did he do? He drank wine in the presence of the thousand. We're going to find that this was the straw that broke the camel's back. Verse 2. While he tasted the wine... Belshazzar gave the command to bring the gold and silver vessels which his father Nebuchadnezzar had taken from the temple which had been in Jerusalem that the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines might drink from them. In other words, taking the holy vessels and treating them as if they were what? Common. And why did he do this? Because he was intoxicated. By the way, these were the holy vessels from the sanctuary that Nebuchadnezzar took, according to Daniel chapter 1. He took the holy vessels from God's temple. Now the question is, did Belshazzar know any better? Did Nadab and Abihu know any better? Did they know that they were supposed to present holy fire? And because they drank wine... They were not able to distinguish between the holy and the common and therefore they brought common fire and they presented it as if it was holy. They knew, didn't they? Did Belshazzar know? Oh, yes. You can read the story there in Daniel chapter 5. When he was drinking, suddenly a finger appeared writing on the wall. And Belshazzar, of course, could not understand the writing on the wall. So he called all of his astrologers and his magicians and so on. And they said... We can't interpret that. We don't know what it means. And then the queen mother, which was probably Nebuchadnezzar's wife, called Belshazzar. She says, hey, I know somebody who can interpret what it means. Daniel. And so Belshazzar calls Daniel and says, I have this urgent need to understand what that writing means. 
And Daniel doesn't interpret it right away. He begins telling the story of Nebuchadnezzar. He says, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, which really means your grandfather, your father, Nebuchadnezzar, one day became very, very proud. And he said, isn't this great Babylon that I have built by my power and for my glory? And the Lord humbled him and made him a vegetarian for seven years. <laughs> he ate the grass of the field. He was a vegan. <laughs> no wonder when he came out of it, he had a clear mind. Hello. By the way, that's not the original sense of the text. And then Daniel says, finally, your, your father Nebuchadnezzar learned the lesson that it is God who is great and he rules in the affairs of men. And then Daniel says, and you, Belshazzar, have asked for these holy vessels even though you knew all of this. Did he know? Yes, he's sinning against known light. He's taking the holy and he is using it as if it were what? As if it were common. And by the way, if you continue reading there with me, notice verse 3. Immediately when he drinks wine, he's not able to distinguish between the holy and the common the immediate result is false worship and idolatry. And in a moment we're going to come to the book of Revelation where this story is ultimately fulfilled. Notice verse 3. When they brought the gold vessels that had been taken from the temple of the house of God which had been in Jerusalem and the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines drank from them. And now notice, they drank wine and what? Oh, here's the idolatry and the false worship. Does Revelation have anything to say about idolatry and false worship? Worshiping the image to the beast. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone. The moment you drink wine and you're not able, not able to distinguish between the holy and the common, the result is idolatry and false worship. Now go with me to Revelation chapter 17. You know the, the scenario in that chapter. It speaks about a harlot. Do I even need to read the passage? You've read it many times. There's a harlot. The harlot is seated where? Upon many waters, which represents what? Multitudes, nations, tongues, and peoples. What does the act of sitting represent? She rules over them. What is her name? Babylon. Any relationship with Daniel 5? Yes. What does she have in her hand? A cup full of what? Wine. And it gives, she gives the wine to whom? to the kings and to the nations. And they become what? They become drunk with the wine of her fornication. The harlot represents an apostate church. And by the way, listen up. 
In Revelation 17, the harlot represents the hierarchy of the apostate church. Because the people that follow it are the waters upon which she sits. Are you understanding what I'm saying? And so she makes the nations drunk with her wine. Now, what does the wine represent? False doctrines. Notice Great Controversy, page 389. By the way, does she impose false worship? Does she command idolatry? She most certainly does. You can read it there. The story of Belshazzar repeated. Ellen White says this, when faithful teachers expound the word of God, there arise men of learning, ministers professing to understand the scriptures, who denounce sound doctrine as heresy and thus turn away inquirers after truth. Were it not that the world is hopelessly intoxicated with the wine of Babylon, multitudes would be convicted and converted by the plain cutting truths of the word of God. But religious faith appears so confused and discordant that the people know not what to believe as truth. The sin of the world's impenitence lies at the door of the church. So are the spiritual leaders today doing the same thing that Nadab and Abihu did? Are they teaching the people the distinction, distinction between the holy and the common? Absolutely not. And let me, let me give you an example. Which day in the Bible did God make holy? The Sabbath. Which day do religious leaders say is the day of worship? Sunday. So what the religious world has done is that they've taken a common working day and they present it to God as if it was holy. And they take a holy day, which is the Sabbath, and they treat it as if it was common. Both sides of the coin. Listen, if God accepts that, he's going to have to apologize to Nadab and Abihu. Because it's the same principle. It's taking the common and presenting it as holy, and it's taking the holy and treating it as if it was common. And by the way, this is the worst kind of idolatry. You say, how's that? Well, let me put it this way. Who made the sun? God did. Did he make it for worship? So what happens if you convert it into an object of worship? It's called idolatry, right? Who made the first day of the week? Did he make it for worship? So what happens if you convert it into a day of worship? It doesn't matter whether it's an object or a day. Whatever you make for worship, which God has not made for worship, is idolatry. And so the whole Christian world is practicing idolatry. And by the way, some of you are saying, well, are you saying that all Christians are lost? No. Because you're only responsible when you know it and you don't obey it. And most of the Christian world is oblivious to what we're talking about. And the reason why is because the religious leaders 
have been unfaithful in teaching the people the distinction between the holy and the common. I praise the Lord that God gives a message to all of those people. Some people might be saying, Pastor Boy, you're saying that God doesn't accept any prayers except the prayers of Adventists. That's not what I'm saying at all. Most of God's people are outside the Seventh-day Adventist church. And Ellen White says that there's going to be a polarization process. Most of those inside are going to end up leaving. And most of the and that their places are going to be taken by multitudes that are coming from going to come in from the outside. It's called the shaking. And in Revelation chapter 18, we find that invitation to the Christian world. It says there, After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great has fallen, is fallen, and has become the dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. For all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have committed, and the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. And now notice, and I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people. Does God have a lot of people in Babylon? Does God listen to their prayers? Yes, because they do the best that they have with the knowledge that they have. That doesn't mean that God absolves the spiritual leaders and those who know. Those prayers are an abomination to God because he who turns away his ears from hearing the law, his prayer is an abomination according to the Bible. Now do you know that Ellen White caught this, this uh, idea about the day of worship? Allow me to read you this statement. This is found in uh, Signs of the Times, March 31, 1898. March 31, 1898, Signs of the Times, she says, Those who ignore the Lord's Sabbath to keep holy the first day of the week offer strange fire to God. It is a strange Sabbath which he has commanded them not. Will he accept it at their hands? Men have sought out many inventions. They have taken a common day upon which God has placed no sanctity and have clothed it with sacred prerogatives. They have declared it to be a holy day. But this does not give it a vestige of sanctity. They dishonor God by accepting human institutions and presenting to the world as the Christian Sabbath a day which has no thus saith the Lord for its authority. As did Nadab and Abihu, they offer the common in place of the sacred. Now, that's enough talking about the non-Adventists. Let's talk about the Adventists now. Do you know that now we are making decisions that will determine whether we are going to really distinguish the holy from the common when it comes to the day of worship? In recent years, I've become very alarmed as I see how we've become very lax 
in the way in which we treat holy things. For example, we think that God doesn't really care how we dress when we come to church. Are you agreeing with that? We come to church and we talk about common secular things. On the Sabbath, we do our own common secular activities. We go out to eat in restaurants on the Sabbath. Even closer to home, we take common music and we attach holy words. We take holy money and spend it for ourselves. So before we self-righteously condemn those who observe Sunday, we must remember that we are now making decisions that will determine which side we will be on. Upon whom does it revolve to teach the people these things? Ministers. Us. Us preachers. It's become unpopular to say unpopular things. But you know, when I became a pastor, I didn't become a pastor to win a popularity contest. I became a pastor to convey God's truth. And you know what? You can not like me, and I can still sleep a full night. Eight hours. Because I don't much care what you think about me. I only care what God thinks about me. (laughs) So they did of the false prophets. (laughs) You know, you take, for example, the issue of tithing. Do we realize that if we're not returning a faithful tithe, we're committing the same sin as Nadab and Abihu? Because we're taking holy money and we're using it for our common purposes. And knowingly. Because we know about the tithe. And I have a burden about, you know, the way that we have lowered the holy standards that our church has upheld for so many years. It's like nothing is holy anymore. Everything is common. God doesn't care what you eat. He doesn't care how you dress. He doesn't care what you talk about in church. He doesn't care about what you do on the Sabbath. He doesn't care what you do with your money. Well, the fact is, the Bible teaches teaches us that God does care. And that God is going to hold us accountable for the way in which we treat sacred things. And I'd like to end with this. I touched upon the issue of women's ordination. You know, most of the arguments that are used in favor of women's ordination, and I know that I'm in the lion's mouth here, (laughs) in southeastern California. (laughs) But I serve the God of Daniel. You know, 
Most of the arguments in favor of women's ordination are false arguments. They'll say, for example, if you don't believe in women's ordination, you believe that women are inferior to men. False. That's a false argument. I believe that women are equal to men, but they have different functions. Oh, if you don't believe in ordaining women, you don't believe about of women in ministry. I believe in women in ministry. Just not the gospel ministry. Because God has not called them to that position. Oh, if, if you don't believe in the ordination of women, you don't believe that women are equal to men. I believe that women are equal to men. They just have a different function. And the way I approach it is this. How many of you believe that God the Father and Jesus Christ are equal? And yet the Bible says that God is the head of Christ. And the Apostle Paul goes on to say that Christ is the head of the man and the man is the head of the woman. In fact, do you know that the Bible teaches that Jesus, even though he's equal to his father, he has subjected himself to his father's will? Does that make him inferior? No. It just shows that he has a different function. And when women aspire to be ordained pastors of of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, they're aspiring to a position for which God has not called them. And that's the same thing that happened with Korah, Dathan, and Abiram. They aspired to a holy vocation for which God had not called them. I'll tell you what. I've got some wonderful women in my congregation. Wonderful. I mean, our finance committee chair is a woman. Our Sabbath school superintendent is a woman. We have Sabbath school teachers who are women. We have many, many... uh, The president of Secrets Unsealed is a woman. Terry Lutz. We believe in women in ministry. We just don't believe that God has called women to the ordained gospel ministry. And you know, in my congregation, it's not an issue. We have 18 elders, they're all men. Oh, chauvinist. No. Following the Bible. When we follow God's order, the church functions so much better. When we go astray from God's order, that's where you have strife and division and fighting in the church. And I pray to God that someday the church is going to say, in our educational system, we're going to go back to the master plan. In our health system, we're going to go back to the master plan. In our lifestyle, we're going to go back to the master plan. In our organizational system, we're going to go back to the master plan. And I'll tell you what, when the church does that, the church is going to have power to move the world. And I pray for that day, and I know that you're praying for that day. If you weren't praying for that day, you wouldn't be here. Well, folks, it's been nice being with you. I'm going going to go home and I'm going to be inspired. There are still 7,000. 
more than 7,000 who have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now when we uphold the truth, let's be kind. Let's not be confrontational and mean. Do you know both conservatives and liberals can be pretty mean? They can be. You know, there's this image, liberals are open-minded, except when it comes to conservatives. <laughs> Is that right? And liberals are, oh, we're so loving and so kind. When I, when I got to Fresno Central Church, I inherited a mess. I mean, there was all kinds of fighting. So there, a minister had, let, had been expelled from the ministry just a few years before. And I had people there that wanted to bring drums into the church and they wanted to ordain women as elders and they wanted to, you know, lower the standards of the church. And, and I simply said, well, you know, as long as I'm here, it's not going to happen. And within two years, over 40 people transferred away. And I've been praising the Lord ever since. <laughs> and we have had many people that have come to the church. You know, what I'm, what's amazing to me is that we've had more and more in the last year, we have had more and more younger couples with young children coming to our church. And as I talk to them, they say, you know, we're, we're tired of playing games. We want a real Adventist church. So there's, there's a movement out there, and we need to keep it alive. GYC, Advent Hope, all of these organizations, from the grassroots up. And I'll tell you, folks, we can make a difference through the power of God. Let's not think that we're the only ones. Elijah said, only I am left. And God said to Elijah, don't you think you're so great? You're not the only one. I got 7,000. So don't you feel like you're the only one? Oh, I'm the only one faithful. No, God has lots of faithful people. And I believe that God is going to use them to uphold the truth for these last days. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the time that we've been able to spend together. We thank you because you've given such a marvelous message to the Adventist church. Father, I ask that you will help us not to lightly look upon this message that you have given us. For with the Holy Spirit, it has power to move the world. I ask, Father, that you will give us an abundance of your Holy Spirit, that we might go out and we might share this message far and wide. And through the special unction of the Holy Spirit, I ask, Lord, that you will bring, bring all of those who are sincere and searching to a knowledge of the truth that they might join your remnant movement. I thank you, Father, for hearing my prayer. For I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.